Well, guys, we are getting close to the end of chapter one of our series. We are in week five of our series in Colossians, and we're, we're coming to the end of chapter one. Next week, we'll wrap up chapter one, and we'll get a little bit into chapter two. Um, I, when I sat down with the series to kind of break it down, I tried to break it down in such a way that each sermon focused on a, on a thought or a topic that Paul was addressing. Now, some topics, there's a lot of verses in them, and some topics, it's just a few short verses uh, to talk about the topic. Today, it's only just a few. We only have three verses that we're talking about today, three verses. And some of you guys are like, sweet daddy, only three verses. It's going to be a short sermon. I love it. We'll be able to go out to lunch and beat the Lutherans and the Catholics to the rush, and it'll, it'll be awesome. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll, I'll try to get, make it shorter, but it might not happen that way. But let's do what we always do. Let's read the passage out loud together. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me, and uh, let's just read it as one big family here. You ready? All right, here we go. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. Three verses loaded with information, loaded with theology, and uh, um, I think incredibly powerful three verses. But let's look at that very first phrase. It says, you were once alienated. Now, let me ask all of you, who's the you in that verse? Us, right? Now, Paul's talking to the Colossian church, but as we read and study this passage, he's talking about us, okay? We were alienated. You know what that means? It means that you and I belonged to someone else, okay? We did not belong to God. We were alienated. We were alien, aliens, okay? Not like UFO alien sort of stuff, but we, the word alien means we do not belong. Like, for instance, have you ever heard of the term illegal aliens? Okay, it's kind of all throughout the news right now. And um, I grew up, I spent a lot of years in Arizona, and we lived really close to the border. Okay, and there was always this huge problem of illegal aliens crossing the border into America. Um, and these aliens, they weren't from Mars or Jupiter. They were from Central America or Mexico. And the reason that they were called aliens is because they did not belong in America. They belonged in another country. The fact that they had crossed over the border illegally without permission gave them the title illegal aliens. Okay? Now, that happened, we ran into them multiple times, but probably one of the most traumatic time I ever had. I was about 14 years old, and I used to love to go hunting and you know, exploring in the desert, and me and my buddy, we would dress up in full camel, we'd wear bandanas, and we would paint our face with camel paint, and we'd go out into the, you know, the desert, and we would, you know, pretend to be Rambo and soldiers and all that sort of stuff, and, and I remember we, we lived on an old abandoned uh, Air Force base, that's where, where we were stationed, and uh, when we'd go way out in the desert, they had built some fallout shelters that the, the Air Force had built way back from, during World War II, in case, you know, the Russians dropped the bombs on us, they would run to the fallout shelters. But they were just abandoned. They'd sit out in the middle of the desert. And so he and I were out there, and we were playing around in this fallout shelter. And uh, we were pretending to be like we were a SWAT team or whatever, and we were sliding. It comes as a wall, and he was right here, and I'm right here, and we're pretending that we're, we're coming right up on the corner. 
And I'm like, already, you ready? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, three, two, one. And we jumped around the corner, you know, pretending. And here were five full-grown illegal alien men. And I'm like, whoo, like that. And they're like, whoo, and they got their arms up like this. And we looked legit, man. We looked like we were full-out SWAT military coming to arrest them. But I was so freaked out, I'd like hold a gun on I'm like, lo siento, you know, and I was talking in Spanish to them, and they got up and they ran off into the desert, and we ran off the other direction, and it like freaked us out. But, so that was my encounter of illegal alien, aliens. But the point I'm trying to make is that we were aliens to God, alienated from him. In other words, we belong to someone else, not God. And, and that's the scary and hideous part of it all. We belong to Satan and the kingdom of darkness, He owned us. Being that we belong to the race of Adam, it meant that we were born, born alienated from God. And not only were we alienated, look at the verse again, we were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So we were born alienated, but then each of us, and I don't care who you are, each of us chose to accept and embrace this alienation from God with our wicked, sinful actions, with our wicked, sinful, evil deeds. We sinned against God, therefore proving our alienation to him. And I think it would be easy for us to just gloss over this, but I really don't want us to. We need to see how dire of a situation we were in. We belong to Satan and his kingdom of darkness. We were alienated from God. We were hostile towards God, and we proved it by our actions and our deeds. We were a mess, and we were in a world of hurt. But there's one word in this verse that I love. Look at the verse on the screen behind me and tell me, third service, what verse is a bright light in the midst of this bad news? Once, exactly. You were once alienated, but not anymore. In Jesus, because of Jesus, we are no longer alienated. Amen? Because of Jesus, like we learned last week, A transfer of ownership has happened. We have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. We have a complete change of status, and I want you to see that. The difference between a believer and a non-believer isn't only that our sins are forgiven, but there's been a complete change of status, a change of ownership. We're no longer aliens. We belong now. And I do mean belong. We don't have just green cards in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And now, in in this world, this this is what the difference between us and the unbelievers. And how in the world did Jesus do this? Well, let's look at verse 22. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Now, I'm not a big one to always be using fancy theological words all the time, but Having said that, if we don't understand these words, we'll miss out on what this passage is telling us. So we need to understand them. It says, Jesus reconciled us. Do we remember what reconciliation or reconciled means from last week? Well, to reconcile means to bring together two people who are separated, okay? Or two parties, if you will. And God's answer to our alienation was reconciliation, okay? We were separated, we were alienated, so God orchestrated reconciliation, the bringing together of two separate parties, and he did it through Christ, through Jesus' work on the cross. 
Now, we don't have time to explain that whole process of reconciliation and how it worked on the cross. We'll, we'll touch on it more in chapter two. But if you have real serious questions about it, I'd encourage you to go back to look at last year's or listen to last year's uh, sermon series what we talked about in winter, spring uh, semester of 2023. And it was called Piercing the Darkness. And I talk about justification and atonement and everything that Jesus did on the cross. And so if you have questions, go look at those things. But today we're not going to be able to unpack all of that. We can only touch on it briefly. The main point is this, and I talked about this last week. The reconciliation that we have experienced is a special one with God. Okay? Shadow, could I get you to come up here real quick? If you can hand rate your Bible or your notes, whatever. Come up here. And I want you to stand right here in the light and face that direction. Just go ahead and cross your arms. Look ticked off. Look like you're just ticked off. And you and I are not reconciled. Now, in, if two men were not reconciled, he would stand on that end, I would stand on this side, and we would stand opposed to each other, and I'd be like, you know what, I don't really care if Shadow ever talks to me. I don't care if I ever see him the rest of my life. You know, just, he's such a jerk. And we sit over here, and I'd ignore him. And for us to reconcile, a person would have to come and say, Luke, you need to really work it out with Shadow, and Shadow, you need to really work it out with Luke. And he would try to bring us two together, okay? But that's not the case with God. God is not standing here, you know, opposed to mankind, opposed to this world, going, I just can't stand mankind. No, if you remember, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God is over here, alienated from mankind, but going, I love mankind. I hate this distance between us and mankind. I hate this, this barrier that we have. So because of that, he orchestrated reconciliation through Jesus' death on the cross. Now, here's what's cool. I want us to see this. In the work of reconciliation, God didn't meet us halfway. No, God meets us all, he, he meets us all the way, and he invites us to accept it, okay? So if I was a man, you know, and we're trying to be reconciled, I'd be like, okay, somebody convinces me to do it. I'll come halfway, and I'd be like, all right, Shadow, you gotta meet me halfway, bro. You know, you gotta do some of the lifting, because I'm, you know, keep facing that way. You're ticked off at me. <laughs> You gotta do some of the lifting. I'm not gonna go all the way because you're ticking me off right now and then I'm willing to come and approach this way but you gotta do some of your work. God didn't do that. God went all the way. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, he came all the way to Shadow and he says, Shadow, there's no gap between us anymore. Because of Jesus, I've gotten rid of that barrier. You have full reconciliation. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is turn to me and accept it. That's what God has done. That's the kind of reconciliation he has provided for us. Give it up for Shadow. We can reconcile afterwards, Shadow. All right. There's a verse that I often quote during our communion times, and it's in Romans uh, 5, verse 8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners. See, he didn't come halfway and say, you gotta do something. No, while we were still sinners, he came all the way, Christ died for us. So we need to see that. That's how beautiful of the thing that God has done for us. Now, like I said, I'm not gonna have the time to explain how all this whole reconciliation process works, but I do want you to notice that phrase again in verse 22 that Paul uses. He says, he has now reconciled us in his body of what? Flesh by his death. Now, I don't wanna get into the weeds with this, but... Um, everywhere Paul went, he encountered a belief system called Gnosticism. And we kind of talked about Gnosticism when we covered the book of 1 John. And very briefly, what Gnosticism was all about is they believed that everything physical in this world is sinful and evil and it needs to be avoided. 
okay? So much so that the idea of Jesus coming in the flesh, they opposed that, okay? They disagreed with the premise that Jesus was true flesh and blood. Because if Jesus was flesh and blood, then he was sinful and he was evil and he was part of this corrupted world. And they weren't having that. So they preached that Jesus was spirit. He was in a sense a phantom or a ghost that they could see him, but he wasn't flesh and blood. And they would even say, they went as far as to say that when Jesus walked on the ground, he didn't leave footprints. Why? Because he was spirit. Well, Paul flat out disagreed with that belief system, and he fought against it everywhere he went. He always wanted to make sure that everyone knew that Jesus was truly flesh and blood. Okay? He always wanted to make sure everyone knew that. Okay? Now, there's a reason for that. If Jesus wasn't true flesh and blood, then Jesus' body didn't die on the cross. And if his physical body did not die on the cross, then his blood was not shed. And if Jesus' blood was not shed, what does that mean for us, Whitestone? Our sins will not be forgiven. God says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So if Jesus didn't shed his blood, then that means our sins are not forgiven. So Paul, over and over and over again, made sure that his readers knew that Jesus truly was flesh and blood. That's why he says that in the verse. Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. In other words, Paul wanted to emphasize that our reconciliation came from a real man dying on a real cross. Jesus truly had come in the flesh. Now, the question then comes up, well, why? Why did Jesus come in the flesh and die on a cross? And we're told in the remainder of verse 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, guys, I want you to pay attention here because the majority of Christianity as of late would want to tell you that the reason Jesus died on the cross was so that we could go to heaven when we die. And going to heaven is equated to salvation, okay? We'll use the, the phrase being saved, and being saved what we mean by that is going to heaven, okay? So we walk around in our Christian circles and we ask each other, are you saved, are you saved, are you saved? Is so-and-so even saved? I was saved when I was 16. We throw that verse around or that, that phrase around, okay? We use it like crazy. But I don't think we really know what it means. It does not mean going to heaven when we die. To be saved means to be delivered. Delivered from what? Sin. You see, that's why Jesus came. It was to rescue us or to save us or to deliver us from sin. Let me show you a passage in 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to warn you it's a very sobering passage, okay? But it says this in verse 4, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, he is Jesus. Why did Jesus appear? To take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning, sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous 
as he is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now look at this last phrase. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Tell me, third service, what are the works of the devil? Sin. Now, we could spend quite a while in this passage, but the main point I'm trying to make here is that the reason Jesus came was to destroy sin, okay? To deliver us from sin. And that's what it means for us to be saved, okay? Salvation is always about being delivered from sin, not going to heaven when we die. So let's go back to Colossians and let's ask the question again, why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Well, to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin, to deliver us from sin. Or another way you could put it is in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me ask you something, third service. What does it mean to be holy and blameless and above reproach before God? It means to be set free from sin. Jesus came so that we could be set free from sin. And that, my friends, is salvation. Now, let's look at verse 23. And I want to read 22 first and then move right into 23. Okay, so let's back up to 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, what I'm gonna talk about right now is probably gonna challenge some of our belief systems. And I'm, I'm not one to just try to blast people with what I think is truth and try to act pompous and saying that, hey, what you believe is wrong, what I believe is right. I never wanna say that. I completely understand why many people believe what they believe, uh, it makes sense to me why there's many different ways to see things. But I do want to hold Scripture up in such a way that we let Scripture show us what the truth is. Because Scripture trumps everything. It's the Word of God. And we must take the full counsel of Scripture. In other words, we can't just pluck one verse out of somewhere and then base a theology on that one verse. We need to look at Scripture as a whole. Okay, So let's try to discuss this as delicately as we can right now. If you look at these verses and you read them and let them say exactly what they're saying, it very much appears that Paul is telling us something very serious, maybe even warning us. Let me read it again. Jesus reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death on the cross in order to present us as holy, blameless, and above reproach before God, if indeed we continue in the faith if indeed we remain stable and steadfast, and if we don't shift from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. You could also read the verse like this. If you continue in the faith, and if you remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, Jesus will present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. That would also be a correct way to read that verse. So I have a question for you. What if you don't continue in the faith? What if you don't remain stable and steadfast? What if you shift away from the hope of the gospel? What if you reject all of this? 
what happens then? Like, for instance, look at these verses, and these are just a few. In 1 Corinthians 15, 2, it says, by this gospel you are saved. What does it mean to be saved? Delivered from sin, okay? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Hebrews 3.14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. 1 Peter 3.17 says, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of the lawless and fall from your secure position. And I could go on and on with verses similar to these, but what happens if we don't do these things? Well, I'll tell you, that is a question that many people far greater than I have argued and debated for centuries. And the term for this discussion is called eternal security. Eternal security, one way they would say, is once saved, always saved. Now, if you notice, that word saved there, once again, I feel like when people use that word saved in this context, they're referring to going to heaven when we die, okay? A lot of conversations about eternal security are about whether we make it to heaven or not. If I did what was necessary, if I prayed the correct prayer, if I said the right things, I answered the correct questions, did I make the cut? Did I get into heaven? And is my place in heaven secure? And that's what we think and we're, we're saying by talking about the term eternal security. We want to know if we're in and if we're in, is our spot secure? Can we count on the fact that we will never lose our spot? If I'm saved, will I always be saved? And that's the focus of that term, eternal security. But remember, to be saved isn't about going to heaven when we die. To be saved is to be delivered from sin. Remember, that's why Jesus came. The question isn't whether we go to heaven when we die. The question is, are we experiencing the glory of being set free from sin in our everyday lives because of what Jesus did on the cross? Or another way you could put it, are we becoming more and more like Jesus? If so, then we are experiencing salvation. And that's why Jesus came, so that we could become like him, so that we could experience salvation, so that we could be set free from sin in our everyday lives. And I feel like so many Christians tend to ignore this. We instead sit around and we ask the question whether we could lose our salvation or not. Are we secure or not? What I see a lot of Christians, Christians focusing on is how much sin can I get away with in my life and still make the cut? In other words, we sit around on the edge of a cliff and we argue and debate you know, whether there'll be some people that say, you know what, I really think we could fall off the cliff to our death. I really think we could. Then there's other people that's like, well, I don't really believe that we could fall off the cliff, but you know, I could make a choice to jump off the cliff to my death. Then there's the other people that are like, well, I don't believe you can fall off the cliff. I don't think you could jump off the cliff. We are secure in our position here by the edge of the cliff. Okay? And they'll argue back and forth, back and forth, using their scriptures to back it up. Well, here's where I stand. 
How about we step away from the cliff and simply follow Jesus? How about we step away from the cliff and disciple ourselves after the one who came to the earth to make it possible for us to experience salvation? Instead of toying with and trying to figure out how much sin can we get away with, how about we follow Jesus and let him teach us how to live a life where we are experiencing freedom from sin? where we're experiencing holiness and righteousness and blamelessness in everyday life? How about we follow Jesus and experience salvation and forget about the cliff altogether? Now, don't get me wrong. I have my opinion, I have my own theology, what I believe, and I have you know, my scriptures to back up what I believe when it comes to the whole issue of once saved, always saved, and whether you can jump or fall or if you're secure on the edge of the cliff. If you want to talk to me about it, you can, but I'd honestly rather forget about the cliff altogether and just talk about and train to follow Jesus. Do you want to be eternally secure? Then never give up following Jesus. You won't have to worry about the cliff when you do that. Because if we follow Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, if we obey Jesus, the cliff isn't something we're even thinking about. Paul is telling us in this passage, if you continue in the faith and remain stable and steadfast, and if you don't shift from the hope of the gospel, Jesus will present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. So yes, we could sit here and argue about what would happen if we don't do these things, but I'll tell you, I think Paul would be more happy with us if we just simply engaged ourselves in doing these things. I think Paul would be more happy with us if we simply engaged ourselves in experiencing salvation, not whether we could lose it or not. Now, I don't want to ignore this point, though. There are a lot of if passages in the New Testament. I've just shared some. Paul has some, Peter has some, John has his share of some. If you do this, if you don't do this, And I want to simply say, take those warnings seriously. They are warning passages. Take heed of them. Don't ignore them simply because you have some theology that tells you once you're in, you're in. No, these are warning passages and they're there for a reason. Take them seriously. Now, let me just wrap up this thought real quick here. Let me show you a verse in 2 Peter. In chapter three, Peter is warning the believers there that the times are evil. He's saying, guys, the times are so evil, so evil, and and Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming, and he's gonna make all things new. He's He's gonna get rid of the old heaven, the old earth, and make a brand new heaven, a new earth, and, and, and it's gonna happen, it's coming soon. And then he says this, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Let me ask you, Whitestone, how do we go about making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him? I'll tell you how. If you continue in the faith and remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, If you do that, Jesus will present you as holy and blameless and spotless and above reproach before God. So what do we do? Continue in the faith. 
What do we do? Remain stable and steadfast. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus. In other words, cling to the good news of Jesus and follow him. Don't ever stop following Jesus. In the dark, horrible days, keep following Jesus. In the sunny, bright days, keep following Jesus. When circumstances are beautiful and peachy and and awesome, keep following Jesus. When circumstances are absolutely terrible, keep following Jesus. Don't ever stop following Jesus. Disciple yourself after him. Because if you do, guess what Jesus will do? Verse 23, he will present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. He will do that work in you. Guys, guess what? He began a good work in you, and he'll complete it till the day of Jesus Christ if you don't stop following him. All right, let's quickly wrap up, and let's look at the last part of 23. It says, The gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, Paul, as we learned earlier, loves the gospel of Jesus. He loves the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says it is the power unto salvation. It's the power that delivers us from sin. And he's given his life to it. In fact, we'll learn last week, he has suffered for it. And he's a minister of this gospel. He's he's administering it to the world around him because he knows that this gospel changes people's lives. It brings salvation to all mankind. And Paul is confident that in the known world at that time, the gospel was being proclaimed. The whole world was hearing the gospel. Asia, Africa, Europe, the Middle East, the known world was being proclaimed. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, is being offered to everyone. And the Colossian church was part of it. They'd heard it too. And not only had they heard it, they were experiencing the fruit of it. They were experiencing the blessing of it. They were being made holy and blameless and above reproach before God because of their belief in Jesus. And I am sure that as Paul's writing this letter, he is rejoicing because of that. Amen? All right. Let's wrap it up there for today. We're going to pick up next week and then get into a little bit of chapter 2. But let's do our reading. We're going to take time to quiet our minds And I'm going to read last week's passage and this week's passage. And we're just going to play some quiet music as I read. And I'm I'm just going to read it slowly and meditatively. And I'd encourage you just to close your eyes. Allow the Spirit of God to use his word to minister to you. I want you to set aside all your worries, all your concerns, all the things that you have going on in your brain. Just set those aside for now and practice the presence of Jesus. And let the Spirit of God point out certain words or phrases to you that he wants you to focus on. Let's just give him some space. The sun is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things that are visible, 
things that are invisible. Whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And he did this by making peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies, enemies in your minds and enemies in your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, dying a physical death on a physical cross. He reconciled you through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in the faith, if you remain established and firm, and if you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard. This is the gospel that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And this is the gospel of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for the reconciliation that you initiated. Thank you that you went all the way because of your love for us by sending your son to die a physical death on a physical cross and shed his blood for us. Thank you, God. Thank you that through what was accomplished on the cross, we can experience salvation we can experience being set free from sin and we can become more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, do that mighty work in us by your grace and your power. May we follow you, may we cling to you in the good times and the bad times because you are the only answer that we have. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that as we walk out of these doors, God, that we would reflect Jesus. 
that this dark world would see Jesus in our words and our actions. Because God, this world needs Jesus. May you use us to bring him to this world. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Whitestone, I love you very, very much. And if any of you guys would like to come up and be prayed for, these wonderful people would love to do that with you. Otherwise, have an amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday.